Welcome to the Fincia podcast. Today I have Michael Mansell with me, a proud Palawa man and uh, chairman of the, origin, the Aboriginal Land Council, amongst many other things. Uh, Michael, welcome to the Fincia podcast. Uh, you're going to give us um, uh, your views on why uh, people should be voting no uh, in the voice referendum. Yes, thanks, Lewis. Um, I am with the what has been labelled the progressive no camp made up of Aboriginal people around the country whose views uh, are that this is a very weak proposal and given what's happened to Aboriginal people over the last 200 years, we deserve a better response than this. And the quicker this this, uh, referendum is defeated, the quicker we can engage with the Prime Minister and his government about more important issues. Uh, so, so we are different from the conservative no's um, because we disagree with their reasoning. Um, they say that this referendum is causing division. We disagree with that. When Australia goes to an election every four years, Half the country votes Liberal and half the country votes Labor. That's called representative democracy in action. When you go to a referendum, half the people will vote yes and half the people will vote no. That is democracy at work. And yet the conservative no campaign are dressing it up as racial division. So the the, uh, uh, progressive no's disagree with that. The Yes campaign have are putting to the Australian people that if they vote yes to this referendum, they will deliver a voice to Aboriginal people that we currently don't have. Uh, it lacks logic, it lacks rational thinking because there are 10 Aboriginals in the federal parliament now. One of them is the Federal Minister for Aboriginal Affairs who sits inside the Cabinet. There have been numerous advisory bodies directly to the Prime Minister, uh, directly to the Federal Government and to also state governments. Over the years, there have been expert commissions, royal commissions and other commissions that have made the point to the federal politicians that because Aboriginal people have been dominated to such an extraordinary degree over 200 years, the disadvantage that our people suffer is a product of that disadvantage. And the voice is not attacking that domination because it's only an advisory body, it's compounding the domination of white people making decisions over Aboriginal people. The real problem with the voice is not that uh, we don't have one. The problem is that we're not being listened to. Uh, Moving on to the voice itself as it's being sold to us, does it stack up to the rhetoric that's uh, being advocated by the Yes campaigners? First of all, we have to acknowledge it is only an advisory body. Yet the yes campaigners uh, keep using the rhetoric that it puts us at the decision making table. Of course, the decisions are made inside the chamber 
of the House of Representatives and the Senate. And the advisory body will not be in there voting for these matters. So, again, it's a bit of a fudging of the argument. There are things that the advisory body cannot do. It cannot return any land to Aboriginal people. It cannot raise taxes. It cannot pass laws. It cannot prevent or veto a racist law. It cannot distribute resources to the Aboriginal communities around the country because it won't have resources. The only thing it can do is to comment on things that are made inside the federal parliament or that are made inside the executive. The other weakness of the advisory body is that most of the issues that confront Aboriginal people every day are state-based. The high imprisonment rates, the land is owned by the states who won't give it back to Aboriginal people, health, housing, education, hospitals are all state-based matters. But the advisory body is a creature of the federal parliament and can only legitimately and bona fide, bona fide advise the federal parliament. So it's very limited in its operation. A lot of other, I know a lot of people who are supporting the yes campaign say, well, look, we agree that it's it's not the best thing. Uh, yes, it's not a decision making body. We know that the rhetoric of the yes campaign uh, doesn't stack up, but it is better than nothing. Well, to those people who believe that, I point this out, that from 2009 to 2019, the Congress of First Peoples Nation was the, was the chief advisor to the federal parliament over 10 years. No one can remember a single thing that the federal parliament picked up based on the advice of the Congress. So when people say it's better than nothing, these advisory bodies don't make a difference. So it's hardly better than nothing. And while we are debating and sitting around delaying talk about the voice, we are not getting on with the other issues that can make a difference. Another point that uh, the yes campaigners or the yes supporters say, well, it's a stepping stone towards something else. But there's absolutely nothing in this proposal that indicates that is the case. I think the yes campaigners have made some serious tactical errors in their campaign. The first one is that if you want to advance the cause of Aboriginal people, you don't go to a referendum. You don't go to the Constitution. The normal way to advance the cause of Aboriginal people where you've got a friendly government is to legislate. Had the Yes campaign supported legislation, we would already have an advisory body in place. We would have a national treaty convention being run now. And the federal parliament would now be considering legislation to establish a truth-telling commission in the same way as the Victorian government 
established a treaty commission. And the one thing that the voice advocates have never answered is why is it when any proposal for the benefit of Aboriginal people, instead of being legislated as normal day-to-day practice of the parliament, why do we have to have a plebiscite? There's almost a discriminatory element um, to that tactic. I think the second tactical area that the Yes campaign are failing is where they have belittled anyone who opposed their product by calling them racist or ignorant. And I think the turning point in the Yes campaign, which indicated a drop in the polls, uh, was when David Littleproud, the leader of the Nationals Party, came out and asked the fundamental core question, how can an advisory body close the gap when the Prime Minister, state premiers and the peak organisations haven't been able to close the gap? There was a wonderful opportunity for the voice campaigners to say, well, here, Mr. Littleproud, is how it can make a difference. But instead, they turned on him and uh, belittled him by belittling his name and, and so on. And I think that was a turning point in the polls. There's no doubt that the supporters of The Voice have made this great leap of faith. Uh, it's a blind leap of faith saying, well, look, we know the argument is that if you support Aborigines, then emotionally you should get behind this. Don't worry about the detail. Don't worry about critical analysis. Just jump on board. And a large section of the Australian population have done that. But the bulk of the public haven't bought it. And I think the reason they haven't bought it, as, as indicated to now by the polls, is that most people believe that referendums uh, and changing the constitution are only to be undertaken when there are compelling reasons to do so. And I don't think the public feel that this is a compelling case for changing the constitution. And so there was always a problem when the campaigners wanted to bypass legislation and go to the constitution. I think the other uh, problem is that the, the yes campaigners have sold this on the basis of an emotional guilt trip. They continue to say, have a look at the disadvantage of Aboriginal people. Look at all the suffering of Aboriginal people today and then somehow try to connect it to the advisory body giving the impression that that is a solution. I think that's worked with some voters who accept the emotional guilt trip, but the bulk of the public, I don't think, are accepting it. So what will be the consequences of a yes vote at the referendum or a no vote? If the referendum is successful, the federal parliament will either later this year, but more likely early next year, legislate to establish the voice. 
a voice won't be created till later in 2024 because the Calma Langton report sets up this very complicated elections process that the Australian Electoral Office would need time to organise and set up all of the arrangements for an election. And keep in mind that by the end of 2024 or early 2025, there will be a federal election. So the effect of a yes vote will be to kill any initiative by the federal parliament to deal with treaty and truth telling because they'll say we are still busy implementing the outcome of the referendum and we don't have time before the next election to deal with treaty and truth telling. Ironically, if there is a no vote, it means the end of the uh, discussion about just legislating for a voice, just having an election for a voice, and it means the $5.8 million that has been set aside by the Albanese government for Aboriginal people to hold a national treaty convention will have to go ahead, probably in February and March 2024. And it will also enable the federal parliament to consider uh, moving either later this year or early next year on establishing through legislation a truth-telling commission similar to that uh, in Victoria. So the, the irony of the uh, yes and no vote on the referendum is the yes campaigners say the only way Aboriginal people can get a benefit is if you vote yes. But as it turns out, the only way that Aboriginal people can begin treaty negotiations with the federal government is if the no vote wins. And that's the irony uh, that the uh, yes campaigners fail to consider. A better alternative to an advisory body is to have Aboriginal people elected by Aboriginal people into the federal parliament. Because we don't have the numbers, we can't elect people. So we've got to be like the Maori arrangement and the Indian arrangement in the state of Maine in the United States where designated seats are set aside for the Indigenous people, which means that one Aboriginal person from each state of Australia could be elected by Aboriginal people into the Australian Senate. And that would give us six Aboriginal people out of 76, no need to go to referendum, no need to upset any other parliamentary arrangements, but it would give us a block vote in the Senate that could use their leverage with any government of the day to close the gap and advance the cause of Aboriginal people in a treaty or otherwise. Michael, thank you very much for uh, putting your case forward. I really appreciate it and hope our members uh, do find some uh, information that uh, helps them make uh, decisions towards the uh, vote um, on October the 14th. Again, Michael, thank you. Thanks very much, Lewis.